This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to do something special. I have sitting here next to me on my desk all 52 books from my 2019 reading list. I've finished them all, and now I am going to pick up each book, and I'm going to state the first thing that comes to my mind as I look at each book cover. This is going to be a rubber meets the road episode, because one of the reasons I started this project was to help me remember what I, what I was reading. I had a problem in the past where I just, I would, I would read a, I would read books and then I, I wouldn't be able to tell you even one thing from, from the books that I was reading. So I remember five years ago or so, my, my sister-in-law was over at her house and, and she was looking at my bookshelves and she said, how do you remember what you, what you read? And I was looking at the, the same bookshelves and I was looking at some books that I just even recently read, and I, cu- I couldn't even tell you one thing from, from those books. And so when I started this project in 2017, I knew that I wanted to have a system in place where I w- it would help me to remember the books that I read. So here's, here's what I do and I don't do in terms of, of this reading project, to, just to, in order to help me remember things that I read. So first things first, I only read physical books. I've, I've read a few on, on my iPad for this project, but, but for this year, 2019, every single one was a physical book. They, uh, I've also done a few audiobooks in the past, but this year I, I didn't do any audiobooks. The reason I only do physical books, well, well there's a few reasons here. One is I can mark them up, and I, I do mark them up. And this is something different from, from my past, because in the past I would buy books and I would, I would treat them almost like a, a holy grail thing. And I, I think I had in my mind like, well, what if, what if I need to, to lend this book to somebody? I, I don't want them to see all my underlinings, and I just want them to be able to, to read it without being influenced on what, what I enjoyed or, or even to, to be distracted by, by what I've marked up in the book. Or even maybe I'll sell this book someday, and, and uh, I'll be able to sell it for more if, I, if it's not all marked up. But look, we're, we're talking like between 5 and 15 or 20 bucks per, per book. Just buy the book and mark it up. And and I did when I just started to start decided to start doing that. That really helped me to remember what it was I read because now when I when I read a book, uh, I I underline, I write in the margins. At the end of most of the chapters, I'm writing notes or the key thoughts from that chapter. And then in the very back of the book, I am writing my key the key things I want to remember. So I could basically go up to any of the books from this year's list, pick it off my shelf, just go to the back cover and I'll see the main things that that stuck out to me in that in that book. So it's a great way to just get a, a refresher for for each of the books. It's also one of the reasons I, I try to buy uh, hardbacks of, of the books because uh, paperbacks sometimes are hard to, to write in the back, especially if you're writing on your the book sitting on your leg and you're trying to write on it but uh, a hardcover is a lot easier to to write on. Um, as for digital devices or, or reading on an iPad or Kindle, I just for some reason the the physical paper sticks with me more. So I've gone to only reading physical books. Audiobooks also, I, I'm just a terrible listener, as uh, my wife can attest, and so I don't recall much of anything from an audiobook. Um, so, some 
audiobooks are, are easier for me than, than others. But, uh, for most of the time, I just, I, I, I need to see the words, especially words that I, I haven't heard before or names of people, um, that, I, that, I, that I'm not familiar with. I need to see those in print to be able to, to remember them. Uh, if I just hear them, it's, it's harder for me to, to picture it in my, in my head. So the second thing then is, is just marketing, marketing it up with, with a pen. As I mentioned, um, it's worth the investment. If, if, if you do want to give people uh, books or let them lend from your library, just, just buy them the book. I mean, it's, it's not that much money. And, and then don't, don't feel bad about marking up your own books. I, I spent way too many years, uh, not marking up my books. Um, I, after that, I, I will, most of the time I'll write, uh, I'll write up a, a page in my notebook about the book. So this again is kind of the key points that I want to remember. And, uh, inside scoop here on I, I buy one notebook per year it's a lecterm 1917 notebook i'll link to that in the show notes if, if you're interested uh, i got the idea from um not tools of titans but um the uh his his more recent one which is tribe of mentors uh tim by tim ferris he there was somebody in the book that that says they use that notebook and then they use muji pens and so i started doing that after reading uh tribe of mentors and i, I love it so i i that's like my everything notebook i i journal in it i do book book notes i write down the books that i'm reading um i take notes from client meetings there uh i i do kind of monthly report reports in the sense of this is what I want to get done this this next month it's my everything notebook and uh, I try to include like one page in there for each each book after that I write I share my thoughts on the books of Titans website about each each book it takes a while to craft those I, I don't even like to call them reviews I'm not smart enough to write reviews but but I like to share my thoughts about about each book and that and that again that helps me to to think through what I've read. Then I podcast about most of the books. So let's let's start over here. I, I mark up my books. I I write notes in the back of the book and at the end of most of the chapters. I uh, review them on my on my uh, my website, and then I do a podcast episode about most of them. And I, I have a page in my notebook uh, f- for notes about the book. I do all of these things just to try to remember what I, what I read. And and it has helped. It's helped a lot. The, the other thing I do, and if, if you've, you've listened to, to other episodes of the podcast, you'll notice at the end of, uh, especially the more recent podcast episodes, I, I state the one thing, and this is the one thing that I want to take away from, from that book. It's the one key takeaway that I always hope to remember from the book. And I got this idea from the one thing book by, uh, Gary Keller. Uh, and, and I also found that if I was trying to remember more than one thing from a book, I oftentimes could not remember anything. So let's say there were like five or 10 really good points in the book. And I, I, I really wanted to remember those because they were so good. I, I would end up not remembering any of those five or 10 things, much less 20 or 30. So I, I just started trying this one thing idea. And it it's it's counterintuitive, but it actually helps me to remember more than one thing in a book. So if I just focus on remembering one thing, that actually helps me remember that part of the book and how it was tied to other parts of the book. And then I end up remembering more than one thing. So that's been my focus lately. 
uh, along with those other things of, of just helping to remember books. And I think, uh, I think that could be the, the biggest thing that would help you to remember books too, is just not to try to remember a bunch of things about a book, but just remember one thing. And, and and really try to make it a point to remember to, to to be able to recall that. So that's kind of the the idea for this episode as well. Is I want I'm going to go through these books. I'm going to pick them up and and recall the one thing that comes to mind for for those books. Here's also a few things that I don't do uh, on my on my reading list. One is that I don't read more than one book at a time. Uh, I just find that if I'm reading more than one thing, I have a hard time trying to remember back to what book that came from. So if, if I'm thinking about this idea and I'm like, oh, what, what book that was that from? I, I know I was reading it around this time. Uh, if I've got five going, I'm not going to be able to pinpoint the exact book. But if it's just one book I'm reading at the time, I, I'm much more likely to, to, to be able to pinpoint that book. I've noticed even that if I listen to podcast episodes that are similar to the topic of the book I'm reading, uh, I'll have a hard time remembering if it came from the book or the the podcast. So I just try to simplify things. In the past, I would read five books at a time and not get through like hardly any of them. Uh, it would take a long time. I, I I'm also able to get through books quicker just by doing one at a time. So that that's a one thing I don't do is is multiple books at the same time. And then the other thing is I don't stop uh, the in the books. Like so like if I hate a book, I uh, have. I've made it a point for this project to, to make it through every single book. And that may not be the wisest thing, but I think about my, my reading list so much that every book on the list is something that I really want to read. And I've been thinking about it for a long time. So it's not just this, like, I just found this book at the, li- the library or the bookstore, and I'm hoping it's good. And no, I've, I've really been thinking about these books for a while. And so uh, also... I've found that some books that are I really don't want to keep going on. I would if if I push myself and and just finish the book. Sometimes the the gems are at the end of the books. So I've made it a point for this project to to always finish a book. So just wanted to give a little insight into to that. And and I I hope this episode helps you pull key takeaways from a number of really good books. And it, this, this may also help you choose books for your 2020 list or, or um, a list uh, further on in, in your life. Um, and if nothing else, you get some key insights from, from 52 different books here. So I'm doing a live test. I'm going to see how much I've learned. I'm recording a podcast. I can easily start it and stop it, but I'm going to try as much as I can here to just record, just go straight in, pick up each book and describe what I remember about each book. This will be the one thing that comes to mind first. So let's, let's get into uh, segment one here. Before I get started, here are some stats from this year's list. I started reading the first book on January 1st, 2019 and finished book 52 on December 10th. Of, of this year. Uh, I'm recording this December 17th, so I finished a, a week ago. I averaged 50 pages per day. That obviously fluctuates. Uh, some days I didn't read any. Uh, maybe uh, uh, one of the kids was sick, uh, maybe just travel or, or work, and I did not get through any pages. And then other days I would get through 100 or, or even more. Um, and, and so I, I averaged 50 pages per day. Per day. For these 52 books, there was a, a total of 17,416 pages. So 
for 365 days, I would have had to have read 48 pages per day to get through all the books by December 31st. So by averaging 50 per day, I got through the books three weeks early. Uh, starting on book number eight, I started tracking the actual time I was reading. So I use this app called Bookly. And every time I would sit down to read, I, you, you, you push start. And, and then when you finish reading, and, and I, I was pretty good with, with doing that uh, nearly every time I read. There were some where uh, either the, the app messed up or, or I forgot to record it. And I, I would try to estimate the, the time that, uh, that I didn't record it. But on the whole, it's pretty accurate. And then I just took the average time per page for the 45 other books and applied that to the first seven to come up with a total reading time this year of, you ready? 486 hours, six minutes and 52 seconds. That may sound like a lot, but uh, over 49 weeks that I, I finished all those books, that's a, roughly 10 hours of reading per week. I always like to put it in this type of perspective. The average American watches four and a half hours of TV per day. That's just TV. What about like social media or, or other things? Uh, think of all of that time. What if you didn't watch any TV? What if you limited your social media? You'd be able to find 10 hours per week of time to, to read. Uh, for the longest book, it was Don Quixote. That was 1,142 pages. The shortest book was Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. That was 72 pages. The average number of pages per book was 335. And that that is the actual number of pages. Um, I don't count the, the notes at the end of the books or the, or the bibliography or the um, index or, or any of that kind of stuff. So I just put from the page one through the last page of the actual book content. Um and, and actually, some of these books had introductions that, that, were, that where those pages were not included. So there, there are more pages than the 17,416, but, um, but the, the, that was a, a good amount of, of, the, of the pages of, the, of these books here. In, in terms of how I chose the books, uh, you can listen to my podcast titled How to Double Your Reading Per Year, and I'll link to that in the show notes. I go into a lot more depth there. And then I... I for 2019, I did set the first few books. I think the first four I put in the order uh, that I wanted to read them. And then after that, I randomized the remainder. Uh, I, I randomized my reading list because otherwise I would I would put certain books at the beginning, the, like the ones I'm most excited about reading. I would top load the reading list. And then it, it might be harder to get through some of those books later in the year, because I know I've read the ones I was most excited about at the beginning of the year. So that's, that's the main reason I, I randomize it. But uh, I, I put a few at the very beginning. Uh, one is because it's, it's kind of a timely book. And then some of the others were helpful for business. So that's why they made it to the, to the beginning of, of the list. So let's get started. All right. Book number one is Non-Obvious 2019 by Rohit Bhargava. I've read this book since 2016. So, so Rohit does uh, one of these each year. And I think 2020 is going to be the last year he does it. And uh, the 2020 version will be book number two on my 2020 list. But yeah, for, since 2016, I've read each of the ones that he, that he releases each year. And it's a book, uh, the, the tagline is how to predict trends and win the future. And he just goes through trends. It's not like he's predicting crazy things that he thinks are going to happen in the future, but it's, it's like trends that are the things that are already in place. And he just kind of 
talks about, like looks forward a little bit more into this is likely where this is going to go. And what's great about these books is he actually grades himself on the previous year. So if he if he he has a, a trend he thinks is going to happen and then it doesn't, he'll give himself like a C or a D. Uh, but if if he's right on, you know, he gives himself an A. So it's really helpful to to see to see that. So I, I've really enjoyed reading these books the, the last four years. Um, and so I, I had this at the beginning of my list because it, it does help with, with business for me. It helps me, uh, in speaking with my clients, I, I do website development and, and online consulting and it, and it helps to take their business and, and kind of see where particular trends are going. So the one thing I remember from this this book is this idea of uh, retro, like things going back retro, and that being a major trend. So companies doing that, and I, I just started seeing this a lot uh, after reading about it in this book. It's it just kind of like it's like you uh, you don't really notice a car until you start looking for that car, like you're going to buy it, and then you start seeing them all over the place. It's kind of like that thing with with these trends. You just start seeing them all over the place, and th- this retro idea was. Was that uh, brands are are gonna brands will be wise to go for the n- nostalgia f- uh, feel for for different things. So um, after reading this book, I actually I I I wrote. I used to work at Russell Corporation, which uh, athletic apparel company, and they they uh, they started in 1902, and then they've just gone way downhill. Uh, recently. And so I, I put this this note up on LinkedIn and kind of tied in that retro idea from this book. And uh, a lot of my former colleagues read it and people even still working at Russell now read it. And uh, it, it was interesting, but I, I just tried to pull in this idea of the brand was in the in the last 20 years was trying to like do new things and uh, change the logo and, 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 and kind of be like this trendy new brand. But the thing that people remembered Russell for was like a hearty, good sweatshirt, like comfortable sweatshirt. It, it lasted, you could play football in it. You could, you know, I, I had shorts that I'd worn for, for 10 years and they were, they were still, they were still in great shape. Um, and so that was the, the, the brand that people remembered. And, and that was not what the brand was trying to do now. So I, I put up this thing on LinkedIn and, and it really resonated with, uh, with a lot of my colleagues. And so that's the, the one thing I remember from this book is, is, uh, is that retro idea and, and brands kind of pulling onto that. Not I've, I've even noticed that idea in music. Um, some of the music I listen to are like current bands, but they, they use instrument sounds like from the nineties and just this idea of kind of like, uh, bringing back the the nostalgic feelings of uh, of of your of your youth, so that's book number one, and that was my forty eighth favorite book out of the year. So out of the, out of fifty two books, that was number forty eight, and these rankings are hard. And this is basically like my ranking on how much I enjoyed the book. So forty eight out of fifty two. I know that sounds like horrible because it's towards the end of the list, but all these books were were so good that. 48 is still good. And, and, uh, so it's, it's hard for me to give, give some of these like bad, like 48 and, and higher, um, numbers for some of these books, but not, not obvious 2019 was, uh, ended up being number 48 on my book in terms of most enjoyable, uh, number one being uh, my, my favorite number two book on the list uh, for 2019 was building a story brand by Donald Miller friend of mine, JP, he told me that I need, needed to read this one. And um, 
what's funny is before going into it, I had read books by Donald Midler like 10 years ago. He wrote Blue Like Jazz. And I read that, and then I didn't realize that it was the same person who had written Building a Story Brand. But anyway, this one, um, this was my 22nd favorite book out of the year, so 22 out of, out of 52. And the one thing I remember from this book is that companies, uh, it's real big right now where this idea of companies telling, telling their story and it's all about story and people remember story. And so you, you want to, if you're a company, you got, you know, you got, you got to have your website copy. You got to have your marketing material. Everything's got to be telling your story. And what building a story brand did was to flip that and say, it's not about telling your story as the company. It's about inviting your client in to a story. And it's about your client story. And you're not the hero. If you're the company, you are not the hero. Your client, your customer is the hero. And so it is a subtle shift, but it is a very important shift. And it's not one that's really being talked about a lot. So this is this was like a, this is a very helpful book. It gives a framework for for telling, uh, like inviting your, your customers into your, your story, uh, clarifying your message. But um, yeah, that's my one key takeaway from, from, from this one is that uh, it's not about your story as the, the, the company. It's about your, your client's story. Book number three, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Uh, negotiating as if your life depended on it. Uh, one, the one thing that, that comes right to mind in, in this book was a negotiation he did for a car. And it was a Toyota, and it was kind of out of his price range. It was a forerunner, but he really wanted it. And he just went in there, and he he just kept he he broke like all the rules of negotiating. So I I took negotiation courses in grad school, and the whole thing is you know don't don't ever show weakness or, or don't don't let them know what you want. Um, and so he would go in right away and, and he'd say, man, I really want this car. And these car dealership guys that, you know, they, they think they've got this guy nailed because, uh, they think he's showing emotion for this car and, and they think they've got him hook, line and sinker. But then he would just do things like, well, this is, this is the price that I can, I can do. And I, I'm really sorry, but I just can't go any higher than that. I just can't afford, I'm really sorry. And and, and he would just do all these different things or just totally throw these guys off. So I always think of that scene in, the, in, this, in this book. That's the, the one thing I remember is just that taking a, a, a different approach and maybe even, maybe even approaching it of how you think the other pe- person is, is going to, th- to, to think you're going to approach a negotiation and then turn that on its head. Um, so that's never split the difference. I, that was book uh, 20, 24 uh, out of 52 in the sense of my my liking of the book. Uh, I ranked that one number 24, but it was book three that I read this year. Book number four, The Art of X-Ray Reading by Roy Peter Clark. This one was awesome. He basically goes through works of literature and shows you how to pick out different things. My one thing that I remember from this book, uh, that I, that I've used a lot in the other books that I read this year was thinking about, um, and this pertains pretty much just to, to fiction, but looking at the names of the characters and, and getting 
or looking looking deeper, like why did the author choose to name the character this? Um, are there any references in other books to that name? Maybe it's a biblical name. So what what was that person's role in the Bible? Uh, if we read the story in the Bible and then we look at the name in the book, so take Moby Dick, call me Ishmael. Well, Ishmael is in the Bible, so let's read the story in the Bible about Ishmael. What what does that offer any insight? And it's just like questioning the names of, of characters in the book like that um, was was a really helpful tool. And, and it may seem obvious, but but I didn't do that until I, I read the art of x-ray reading. Uh, I, I ranked this one number 16. So that was a little higher up there uh, the, in this year. So 16 out of 52. I, I, I really enjoyed this book. And it was, there were a lot of really helpful tips, but that, that was the main one that sticks out to me. Book number five, All the King's Men, Robert Penn Warren. This was a Pulitzer Prize win, winner. Um, this book was and it was it was suggested to me by Joel Tomlin, who's the owner of Landmark Booksellers here in Franklin, Tennessee. It's a place I frequent quite often. And all the King's Men, uh, wow! This this was one of my favorites of the year. I, I ranked this one number six out of fifty-two. And the one thing I remember from this book was the surprise. I was surprised twice in this book. I I like to think I I can kind of predict what's going to be happening based on what's the 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 storyline of a book and this one completely surprised me not once but but twice and very very uh very entertaining book um and then so the 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 thing it, it surprised me that was one thing and then the other thing is I I expected this to be a book about a politician and, and, and what he did to uh, to do change, like on a broad spectrum. But what this book was about was the people closest to him. And he had really bad relations with people closest to him. And that impacted his wider political career. And so it's just that that idea of you, of going into the book thinking that it's going to be about these broad sweeping changes, but the things that were the things that were important in his life were were those closest to him, and and he messed that up. So that was all the King's Men. I highly recommend that book. Just an incredible novel, and um, based on on a, a, a politician from uh, New Orleans, I believe, uh, or Louisiana somewhere. Next book is Man in the Mirror by Patrick Morley. And uh, this is embarrassing. I, I do not re- remember a single thing from this book. And I think that that kind of tells me something. So this this is a book, um, Solving the 24 Problems Men's, Men Face. And it's, it's a, a, written from a Christian perspective. And I've, I've just, I've read a lot of uh, Christian, uh, not self-help books, but um, yeah, maybe maybe self-help Christian books or, or apologetics books or those kind of things. And oftentimes I, I have a hard time remembering what, what's in them. And and I used to read a lot of these types of books in, in college. I remember a friend of mine, uh, I read a book on fasting and, and my, I finished the book and and uh, my friend asked, so um, have you fasted any? I said, well, well no, but I, I read a book on fasting. And I think that's kind of a good um, a, a good picture of uh, 
perhaps why I, 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 I had trouble with this book or I, I didn't have trouble. I, I enjoyed it. I just don't remember a single thing from it. And so that's telling to me. I ranked it number 50 out of 52 books. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> don't have a good takeaway from that one. And that's going to be part of this episode. If I don't remember anything, I'm just going to say I don't remember anything. Number seven on the, this year's reading list is SOG. The Secret Wars of America's Commandos in Vietnam by John Plaster. I had this book on my 2018 reading list and just didn't get to it, so it, it transferred over to 2019. I read this at the suggestion of one of my clients and a, a good friend of mine, and he, I, well, he, he was in Vietnam, uh, in, in the Vietnam War, and I asked him, if there's one book out there that would describe what you did, what would it be? And he said it would be this one. So SOG is Special Operations, and these guys are really the precursor to a lot of what we know as, um, as in, in terms of Special Operations Forces, uh, Navy SEALs, uh, Delta Force, a lot, of, a lot of what they're doing. A lot of that started, started here. And I, I learned a lot in this book. I didn't know that we were, uh, it was Vietnam War, but that we were in doing special ops in Cambodia, in Laos. And, and so I learned a lot. That's kind of my one key takeaway from this one is just learning about the, the breadth of, of the war and in our involvement. And, and then also the, the start of, of special operations. After that, uh, I, I ranked that one number 43 out of 52. After that, number eight, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. This was another book from my 2018 reading list that I didn't get to, so it, it transferred over to 2019. I had a lot of trouble with this book. I, uh, I posted that I remembered maybe or understood maybe 2% of the book. And so I didn't do a podcast episode on this one or anything just because I didn't, um, I didn't really understand a whole lot of it. It, it. A lot of it was way over my, my head. I guess uh, in terms of a, a, a one thing or one key takeaway, it would just be this idea that, um, that we, we have, we, there, there are kind of common stories that, that are across cultures and I, I've, I've seen this idea in a lot of other books and I, I thought other books did a better job of, of communicating it. This is kind of the, the source for a lot of those books though. So I know this is an important one. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get into it. Uh, I, I finished reading it, but it was one of those where it was really a slog to, to get through. So, um, I ranked that number 49 out of 52. Next, number eight, or sorry, number nine, how to lead when you're not in charge. Clay Scroggins, he's a pastor in Atlanta, and he used to work with, or he, he still does work with, with Andy, Andy Stanley. The tagline, Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. This was a really good book, and the my one key takeaway, or one thing I remember from this one was just not, uh, I... I tend to, um, I tend to think that I can only lead if, if I'm in a leadership position and I'm really not right now. I, I, I work for myself. Uh, so I, I don't have employees under me. Um, I, I'm not in a position where, yeah, I'm not in a position where, where a bunch of people report to me. And that, that's kind of where this author was too. And, and, but he says you can still have influence and, and, uh, I was talking to my wife about this book and 
I said, you know, I, I, I just don't, I don't have, I, w- I want to lead at some point, but I, I just, I don't even have anybody under me right now. And she's like, well, you have a family, you know, you could, you could start there. You could lead your, your kids, you could lead your family, you could lead your wife. And so that, that was a good challenge, uh, for my wife at, in, in just even talking to her about, about this book. Uh, and that's kind of the one thing I remember from this one. I ranked this one 32 out of 52 books. Number 10, Finding Franklin. And this is by a local author. I, I live near Franklin, Tennessee. And so you'll, you'll see uh, three or four of the books on my list this year were uh, dealt with, with Franklin. And so Finding Franklin is, is a novel. It's by Katie Shands. And it's, it's a, a story that takes place in downtown Franklin. So I love downtown Franklin. It's one of my favorite places to be. You feel like you step back um, 50, 100, even more years. And, uh, it's, it's got a main street, you know, every building is, is two stories tall. That's not these high rises or anything. And they've done a good job kind of keeping that, that Southern, uh, Southern charm, but it's also a, a city where a major battle of the civil war took place and, and 10,000 people died in the vicinity of Franklin, Tennessee. And a lot of those hand to hand combat, uh, which I'll get into in, in another book on the, on the list here. But, uh, so it's, it's a, it's a interesting city, you know, it's not just this peaceful, quaint, uh, old Southern town, but, um, 10,000 people were killed there. I mean, there's, there's blood in the ground and, and so an interesting city, but, uh, a lot of old, old houses and churches and, and everything. And, uh, so this finding Franklin was, was just took place within, within Franklin. And I loved that because I, I learned about Frank. I learned little tidbits of information about, about Franklin in this book. And then just kind of, Picturing, uh, picturing myself uh, in these different places, and and um, and in in the book they would go to to a lot of the places that I frequent in Franklin. So that's that's one thing I remember. I ranked this one fifty one out of out of fifty two. And again, I, I it's I hate ranking at fifty one because I really enjoyed it, but um, but just with all the other books on the list, um, it ended up at fifty one. Book number eleven, Don Quixote, Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes. This was one I'd, I'd wanted to read for a long time. And this was the longest book on my list, um, 1,100 pages. And uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. And the one thing I remember from this one is I was expecting this to be a serious novel. I mean, it's, it's a classic, right? So classics are, are boring. And you know that if, if there's anything you learn in, in, uh, in high school when you have to read, it's, it's how boring the uh, classics are. But Boy, when you read the classics for for yourself, they are they are a joy. And this one was hilarious, and that's what I was not expecting. And that that is my my key takeaway from this book is um, sometimes you can communicate things in a in a different way. It could be funny. It doesn't need to be serious. It doesn't need to be uh, what you would think of as a as a classic. But um, basically, Don Quixote he 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 thinks he's a knight, and he just goes and he's read all these books about knight errants. And he just wants to go out and, and be a knight looking for adventure. And that's what he does. And he does insane things. He attacks windmills thinking they're giants. And he, he oh, it's just full of like funny things. I mean, you're, you're dying laughing reading, reading this book. And so that one key takeaway of, of just, you can be funny, you can communicate things in a, in a different way, and you can have a lot of fun with it. So this, this was an enjoyable book. I ranked it 23 out of 52. 
Number 12, AI superpowers. This is one I added, um, I think kind of midway in the year, I took another book off and added this one in. It was uh, recommended in a podcast episode I listened to, and this one was incredible. So uh, this was by Kai-Fu Lee, and he has worked all over the world. He's worked in Beijing and then also in Silicon Valley. And so he had a unique perspective. He's worked for Google in China. He's uh, worked for American companies. So he's seen all sides of it. And and really from the the new business side of things, um, uh, raising capital, uh, venture capital, that sort of thing, he's seen it from, from all different sides and then uh, really deep into artificial intelligence. So the reason I went into reading this book is, is I wanted to learn what types of jobs are going to be leaving in the future once AI takes, takes more and more, um, of, of the, the jobs, like what, what jobs are, is AI going to, going to take? And so that's why I went, went into reading, reading this book. And the one thing I remember from this book, the one key takeaway is that Kai-Fu Lee gets cancer and he rethinks everything. He says he had lived his life basically as an algorithm. He spent the optimal time with his family, not too much, not too little, uh, so that they didn't get mad. He kind of operated as an algorithm in terms of how he did things. Like it was all about productivity. And then he got diagnosed with cancer and that just flipped everything around. And what was cool though, is that he tied that in with AI. And he said, the jobs of the future, the ones where you're, if, if you're on a roll right now and, and you're just becoming more and more productive and, and well, all you're doing is setting yourself up to compete against AI and AI is going to destroy you. But the jobs of the future are going to be the ones that have a human touch. And the human touch is what he had lost in always trying to be more and more productive. But the human touch, he got that back when he was diagnosed with cancer. He, he survived, he made it through, but that brought him closer to his family and helped him to see the things that are important. And in, in doing so also helped him to see the things that will, that will last, the, the jobs that will last, the jobs where, you, where you're empathetic towards others or you're taking care of others. Those are the types of jobs that are going to make it through um, this AI re- revolution. So it was a really important takeaway and, and something I've thought about a lot this year. This was, this was one of my favorites that I read this year. I, I ranked it number 17, but uh, in terms of importance and how I've seen, seen it tie in with other books and just the, the twist, like you don't see him getting cancer as part of this book. You think of it just kind of more as like a business book. And then it's like, oh, wow, this just took a huge shift. So um, AI superpowers, that was book number 12. All right, books number 13, 14, and 16 are about Scotland. Uh, the first one is called The Union, and then the second one, A Higher World, and then the third one, A New Race of Men. And then I had a, a one different book in, in the middle of those, and I'll, I'll cover that as well. I'm going to kind of look at these Scotland books as, as one. So The Union was about the Treaty of 1707, and that's the treaty uh, between... Uh, England and, and Scotland. And then A Higher World is from 1707 to 1815 in A New Race of Men from 1815 to 1914. And so the Scottish Enlightenment was happening 18th century. So this The Higher World, that second book is really about the, the Scottish Enlightenment. And I, I'm fascinated with, with Scotland, the country. My, my uh, 
my wife and I, we go, we, we've been going almost every year and it's just, I, I, I love the country and, and I, I want to just dig deep into it. I want to learn more about the history. And, and so that's why I got these three books. I'd, I'd always seen them in Scotland when, when we would go to bookstores there. And so I finally bought the whole set and then, um, and made it through it this year. And so I'm going to do a one kind of one takeaway from, from the entire set. And my takeaway was, was this, uh, these books really helped to give an idea of how to learn more about a country and what kind of questions to ask. So for instance, he go, the, this author went into the nitty gritty of what constitutes a country and what the economic factors are, the, the industries, the trade, uh, trends, education, people, laws, all sorts of things. And, and then what was going on in different cities and how that impacted different things in, in Scotland as a whole, uh, um, history leading up to that, but then also international relations and how, how France and how Scotland, how Spain, how all these different countries were impacting what was going on in, in Scotland. It was a really fascinating look at just one country, but just, but just all the different pieces that go in to make a, a country what it is. And so that, that was my key, key takeaway from, from that. It, it may seem obvious, but, um, but when you really dig in deep, deep to a country and, you know, that first book was, was really about just a few year period and it was a, it was a big book. Um, so you're really getting into the nitty gritty and, and seeing, seeing what's happening. So that was, that was really fascinating. So I, I ranked those three books, 37, 36 and 38 out of, out of 52, and the book that that came in at number fifteen amidst these these three books on Scotland was the coddling of the American mind, and this one was suggested by Jason, uh, my my co co host on this podcast for for some of the books, and he said I just had to to read this book, and he has been about a hundred percent on his book recommendations. Uh, the, some of my favorite books for this entire project have been the ones that he has suggested. So when he said that that this was one that I had to read. Um, I, I jumped on it and uh, took off one other book that was on my list for this year and, and added this one in. The thing, the main thing I remember from this book is um, the year 2013. The authors Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt, they, they say that the year 2013 is when the shift happened at universities where it started to uh like you you needed to have safe spaces and uh people ideas were were could be could be harmful to people and and that sort of thing um and he, they they attribute that to that's the time that people started uh getting to the universities who had who had grown up on not just the internet but social media and they said 2013 was the the year of that shift. And what was interesting is is uh, I did this podcast episode on the coddling of the American mind with Jason, who is a professor, and he said he also noticed that year 2013 as being the year of the of that shift. And so I I always think I I love those books that identify a, a year as as being a shift, like um. The book by Thomas Friedman, Friedman I read 
for 2018 reading list. So 2007 was was a huge year in in technology. That's the year the iPhone came out uh, and a number of other things. And so, if that's that was kind of a, that was a big turning point. 2007, and then the coddling of the American mind. They identified 2013 as being a big, a big, um, a big turning point as well. This is a really important book, and um, I, I ranked this one 19 out of 52. Book number 17 was The Widow of the South, and this one was by Robert Hicks. He's a lo- local author here in Franklin, Tennessee. I've met him a few times, and um, and this this book is is interesting in that it is it's a novel, but it it uh, it's it's a his- historical fiction, and so there's there's a uh, it, it takes place during the Civil War, and so there are actual generals and stuff that were that were real people. And, and the main heroine of the book is um, is was a real person and, and lived here in, in Franklin. And the widow of the South is uh, she she took the Battle of Franklin took place near her house, and so the wounded soldiers were put into her house. And she had lost three children in her life. And so she had already experienced a lot of tragedy. And then all of a sudden now her house is just filled with, with dying men. And she just turned into this amazing woman, uh, due to her suffering in her past and was able to comfort the soldiers. And then after that, she and her husband put a cemetery on their property for these fallen soldiers. But, uh, the one thing I remember from this book is just the, one of those tragedy of war scenes and Robert Hicks, the author, talks about uh, this sound emanating from the battle. And at first, people don't know what it is. But I, I mentioned before that 10,000 people died in the, in the Battle of Franklin. And there was the, the accounts were that there were so many people that you, you couldn't walk on the, the ground. So you had to walk on bodies. And so the sound that these people were hearing was people walking on bodies and breaking bones. And... That, that's my memory of, from this book is just picturing that scene. I mean, I drive these roads every day where the, the soldiers were going into the city of Franklin. And I just have this picture in my mind of, of these areas that I see almost daily, just covered with bodies and, and just imagining having to walk on top of these and, and bones breaking and, and that sound being such that people had not heard that before. So I have another Robert Hicks book on my my list for next year, uh, but that was that was my one one key takeaway. Next one, uh, and and I, I uh, ranked that one number twelve. I, I really enjoyed that one. Next one, book number eighteen for the year, Lords of the Desert: uh, Britain's Struggle with America to Dominate the Middle East. This one's by James Barr. I've read a few other James Barr books, and that he has really helped me to to understand different aspects of. I guess Western um, infiltration into the Middle East, especially around World War One and World War Two, and this one, this this book, the 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 thing I, I remember from this book is just the battles that that took place between Britain and America um, in controlling different parts of the Middle East. It was it was a really fascinating book in that sense. I ranked that one forty one out of fifty two. Number 19, Warnings Unheeded by Andy Brown. This was a book that was sent to me, and I, I try to include a few of those each year on my list. And this one was a surprise. I really enjoyed this book. 
And what I did when I recorded this podcast episode, I, I actually called Andy and um, and talked to him about the book. He he made himself available. And this book talked about two tragedies that happened at Fairchild Air Force Base. And one was a B-52 crash, and then another another was an active shooter uh, situation that where he he killed he killed um, a few people. And what was interesting, and I, I didn't know this going into the book uh, because I, I try not to to know too much of the books before I, I read them, is that Andy Brown, the author, took out the active shooter. So Andy Brown was a, a police officer, and he shot and killed the active shooter. And that shooter probably would have killed a lot more people had Andy not not shot him. And so my my one key takeaway from this book was Andy describes his kind of lifelong preparation for that moment. He was always that guy who was prepared and he would get laughed at and he would get made fun of because he he was viewed as being overly prepared. But he he was the one that took out that shooter and I I think it's because he had lived his life, he had lived his daily habits had been in a seriousness of his role and knowing that something could happen. And he took that seriously. And because of that, he, he was able to take out the shooter. Uh, I, I also remember from the book, just his description. He, he does not make himself out to be the hero. He, he talks about dealing with uh, PTSD as a result of shooting this guy, uh, kind of replaying the thing in his head over and over, like could have gotten there sooner and saved more lives, and just the the pain of, of all that. Um, it was it was a fascinating book. I'm I'm so glad he sent it. I I bought it for my uncle who um, who was a B-52 pilot, and uh, this was one that um, I, I was very surprised about, and I'm I'm, I'm very glad that the the author sent that to me. Book number 20 was The Fifth Risk by Michael Lewis. And this one talks about um, about the government, a, a lot of uh, uh, what different departments of the government do. And so my one key takeaway from this was uh, don't criticize the government if you have no idea what they're doing. And there's so many, th- I mean, 95% of this book, I, I, I didn't know. And uh, what the different departments did, and yet I will I would criticize the, those departments, but I, I couldn't even tell you what they did, and so that's my one key takeaway: is don't criticize something you don't understand. Really dig in and, and understand it, and and yeah, there'll be criticisms uh, when you, when you get to know something more, but but don't go into something and criticize it without knowing knowing it deeper. I ranked that one forty six out of fifty two, and I don't think I said the warnings unheeded. I ranked that one 29 of 52. So fifth risk book number 20, I ranked that 46. We'll take a slight break here and then go into um, the next set of books. Now on to the next set of books, I'm going to do books 21 through 37 here. Next one is Twilight by William Gay. This is another one suggested by Joel Tomlin at Landmark Booksellers. And my one key takeaway, or it's fiction, so it's hard to do a takeaway with with fiction, but the one thing I remember from this book is just not liking it and it it being scary in parts and just uh, like Stephen King likes it. And I wanted to like it. It it, it it's highly rated, and but uh, I I just didn't like it. And it's it's not the Twilight series that uh, 
is on TV. This this is a different different novel, um, but I I didn't enjoy this book. I, I ranked it fifty two out of fifty two, and that's all I remember from it is that I just didn't like it. Splendor of God number twenty two, and um, this one was this one was 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 amazing. This was about a missionary to Burma, uh, modern day Myanmar, in the early eighteen hundreds. And this man went through hell. He was sick most of the time he was there. He uh, lost almost everyone he knew. He lost his wife and just uh, a life of, of tragedy and yet hope and, I guess, triumph through all that. So very interesting book. I learned learned a lot about uh, about Burma, the country, and then just about this this man, uh, Honoré Morrow. And the one thing I remember from this book is he, he was so, he sought after God so hard. And he was known as a man who sought the face of God. Like he wanted to see God. Uh, but there, there's warnings against that in the Bible. Like you, you, you couldn't see God face to face. In, in the Bible. And, and yet, like he, he, he just, he wanted that so bad. He, he just, he wanted to be so close to God that he, that, it, that he was face to face. And he, he gets to this point in his life, his wife has died and, and he's, he started talking to this, this other lady who ends up being his, his second, second wife after his first wife dies. And, um, she kind of says, well, well, look at it, look around and look at what God has created. And, and that's, that's, kind of like how close you can get to God right now. And, and you, and you got to be okay with that. I, I probably butcher that a little bit, but that was my one key takeaway from the book. And it, it was an uncomfortable one because here was a man who had given his life to God. He had suffered so much for that. And it was almost like a letdown at the, the end of like, well, just, just kind of, you know, look, look around and look at the beauty around you. Uh, and yet this man was, was trying to seek the face of God. So it was one of those, uh, one of those books where it wasn't like this clean ending that made you, you feel all warm and fuzzy and, you know, maybe he had lost everything, but then he, he gained other things back or, or that kind of thing is like, there, there's some nuance here and there, there's some really hard things to, to deal with here. And, and so that was my key takeaway. This this is a, a book that is out of print and, but it was it was amazing. I, I ranked it twenty seven out of out of fifty two. After that, Faust by I, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. I think it's it's it, it. I would I would pronounce it goth, but that's obviously not right. And this is a two part book. I or two part book. Yeah first part and second part. The first part is what I wanted to read. I had planned on reading both parts. And so at the beginning of this episode, I said, I don't ever stop a book. And I technically didn't because I, I read the first part that, which is what I wanted to read. But, um, I, I just, I did not like this book. And part of it is I just, I didn't understand it. And I mean, I got the basic gist of the book, but, um, but I, I did not really like it all that much. And so 
key takeaways or things I remember again, just that, that I didn't like it. So I, I, when I, when I don't like a book, I have a hard time really getting into it and, and wanting to remember what, what is in it. So I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't have a good takeaway for that one. I ranked it number 40. Number 20, book number 24 is Killing Commendadore by Haruki Murakami. This was my second Murakami book, but it was my first novel by him. The The other book that I'd read by him in 2018 was his book on running. So he's a runner. I loved that book. It was so awesome. Uh, and, and so I wanted to check out one of his one of his novels. I loved this book, uh, Killing Commendadore. Uh, my, my main thing I remember about this is, is just that he puts you into his world. I, I, w- I was even thinking about this book earlier today or, or yesterday and, and being able to picture in my head this, this house that one of the scenes takes place in. And he does such a good job. Like you feel like you're there. So I, I liked that. And then he also tells you what the people in the book are listening to. And that, I, from what I understand, that's a big part of a lot of his novels is that you, you, you end up <coughs> learning a lot about jazz, uh, classical music. He, he has the characters listening to, to operas. And so I, I loved that. And I would listen to the music that was being discussed uh, while, <coughs> while the characters were, were listening to it. And so I've added another Murakami book to my, my list for next year, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed this one and ranked at number seven. So it was seven out of 32 or 52 for, for this year. Book number 25, Murder on the Orient Express by Agatha Christie. My thing I remember from this book is being completely shocked at the, the ending. Uh, I was I was kind of thinking the whole time, I know where this is going. Oh, this is this is going to be obvious who did this. Uh, or, or even just try to like being really careful in how I read to, to pick up clues and that kind of thing, underlining and all that. And I was totally surprised at the end of this. So I'm going to start adding a, an Agatha Christie book uh, in each of my reading lists. So in, in my 2020 reading list, I have an Agatha Christie book. Uh, and then there were none. Uh, and so that's that's what I remember. This was my first Agatha Christie book, Murder on the Orient Express. I ranked it 30th. Out of fifty-two, next book, Fantastes, uh, Fantasties. I don't know how to pronounce it. George MacDonald, and my wife's favorite author is George MacDonald. This is a fantasy novel. I hate fantasy, uh, and most most of his books are not fantasy. But this is one of his most popular books, and it and it is fantasy. And I did not like this book, and my wife doesn't either. She she doesn't like. McDonald's fantasy books, but um, uh, I, I I wanted to read this one because it, it is one of his more famous ones, and so I I do have a, a a one thing for this book though, and that is the intro because the intro is done by C.S. Lewis, who is one of my favorite authors, and that intro was fascinating. And C.S. Lewis said that this book was something that led him to become a Christian later on in his life, but it it like it put the seed in his heart. And the way he described it is that it, it opened his mind to beautiful things. Like he, he said the story, it, it, it made you want to live that way. It made you want to experience life the way, even that this, though it's a fantasy novel, uh, introduced the goodness of, of life. 
And so that intro, I, I would just get this book to, to read the intro by C.S. Lewis. It was that, that good. And that's, the, unfortunately, it wasn't the book I remember, but it was the, the intro to the book uh, by C.S. Lewis. So I ranked that one 42 out of 52. Book number 27 is by C.S. Lewis. It's uh, Mere Christianity. This was a book that had a tremendous impact in my life. I read it for the first time in 1999. And, and then I um, was so enamored with C.S. Lewis and his friendship with Tolkien that when I had the opportunity to study abroad, I studied at Oxford, England for a summer. And mainly just to see where Lewis hung out and um, go to the places where he had been and, and just learn more about Lewis and, and Tolkien. And so the second time I ever read this book was in the Lamb and Flag pub in Oxford, uh, in August of 2000. And that's where Lewis and Tolkien, one of the pubs that Lewis and Tolkien used to hang out at. The Eagle and Child at that point was getting renovated. So I, I had I had to go to the Lamb and Flag instead. And so I, I read this book in July of 2019 for the, the third time. And it was such a joy to to reread it. Uh, one of the one of the the key takeaways from from reading it again this this time was this idea of every decision, every choice, every action leading one way or the other, leading towards a heaven or a hell. And I I guess just putting those terms into the here and now, uh, where whereas oftentimes heaven is talked about as something in the future when you die, that kind of thing. But Lewis bringing that to right now and no, you're, you're, you're moving towards one, one destination or the other. And it it is your choice. It is your daily choice. And you are, you're making that choice with everything you do. It, it just, it tied it into a lot of the other books of Titans books. But, um, this, this one is just, it's had such a tremendous impact in my life that it, that it was interesting to read it again. And, uh, but for, for that takeaway, uh, he, he describes it in, in a lot of different parts. And I brought that up in, in a lot of different other, other, um, podcast episodes yeah, because it ties into so many of the other, uh, books that I've read. I ranked this one number two on my list this year. So, uh, you know, it, it was one I, I really loved. It's, it's one of my favorite books ever. And it, it, like I said, has had a tremendous impact on my life. Book 28. So we are, uh, we're, we're at the halfway, I guess we're just at the halfway point with, um, 26. So now we're on 28. This is marketing by Seth Godin. I have an unfortunate one thing, one key takeaway from this book. And that is this, he, he says marketing is everything you do. It is the quality of the paper you use on your business card. It is the the design of your of your website. It is the logo that you use. It's the colors. It's the fonts. It's the way that you answer your phone. It is the way someone feels when they come into your store. All of these things are marketing, and and yet this book was cheap. I bought, I bought the, I bought the hardcover edition of this book. And if you take the cut, the, the dust cover off, the book just feels cheap. Uh, if it's not, it's, it doesn't feel high quality. And so I kept thinking about that the whole time I was reading this book in, 
in that there's this huge disconnect in that everything you do is marketing and and you want to make a, an impression with everything you do. And then here is this book that just feels like it cost 23 cents to make. And you 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 open it and it creaks and, and not in a nice way. Like, <laughs> it just kind of shocked me. I did not like this book. I did not think it was a good... Uh, I've read other Seth Godin books and I've, I've enjoyed those. I did not like this one. And just the that, that the book felt like crap... And the whole the content of the book was about how your stuff shouldn't be like crap really disturbed me. And so I ranked that one 35 of 52. Next book, 29, City of Thieves by David ben- Benioff. This uh, is a novel and, and it takes place in Russia during, during World War II. Just tragic... Uh, tragic scenes and situations and and actually tied in kind of interestingly enough with uh, the last book on my list, The Gulag Archipelago, uh, as both were were taking place uh, roughly around the same time. But City of Thieves is is a novel. And the one thing I remember from this book is is an unfortunate thing, and that is that it contained the most horror-filled scene out of any book on this year's list. And if you've read this book, you probably probably remember what that scene is. I think about it a lot. It horrifies me. Uh, I wish I had never read that section, but I did. It's it's in line with what Nazis would have done. Uh, this is World War II. Who knows if this particular thing happened, but it happened in this novel. And oh, it is I mean, I've I read books on serial killers and gulags and other horrible things this year, and this is the one that had the scene that scared me and freaked me out the most. But it, it was a good novel. I, I ranked it 44 out of 52. Next book on, on the list, book 30 for the year, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. Unbelievable book. Unbelievable book. This was, this was one of my, my favorites. I ranked it number three. And Frederick Douglass was a slave. He uh, escaped slavery out of the south uh, of the United States and, and, and spent the rest of his days in the north uh, working on the abolition movement to, to get rid of slavery. My one key takeaway from this book, the, the thing I still remember and think about, is his statement that slaveholding was as bad for the slave as it was for the slaveholder. And that is an unbelievable statement to make, having endured the horrors of slavery, uh, having your mom sent out into the woods to basically die. The Her slave master thought she was too old, so he just built her a hut out in the middle of the woods, and she just had to take care of herself out there. She couldn't, she couldn't see anything, and that's how she spent the, the remainder of her her days. Uh, Frederick himself was, was regularly beat. And yet he makes the statement that slavery is as bad for the slave as it is for the slaveholder, because it destroys the slaveholder's soul. uh, Number three on my list this year, it's 72 pages. I, I would suggest buying this immediately. It's a few bucks on Amazon. It, I think it's one of those print-on-demand books. And I, this is a really important book. 
uh, you, you, you should read it. Book 31, Devil in the White City. This was about a serial killer and the Chicago Fair in the late 1800s. The serial killer stuff was was kind of scary, but like I said, the the City of Thieves had a, a worse scene than than what, what, at least for me than than what was in uh, Devil in the White City. It was pretty freaky because the the serial killer was pretty pretty demented. But um, the parts about the Chicago Fair were fascinating, and my my one key takeaway, one thing I remember from this one is this idea I. I don't know if there's a way to do it nowadays, but to get the whole world to come to one place for a fair, I, I know they still do them, but I don't, I don't think they had the power as, as the, the as, as these fairs did. Um, all the people they describe meeting each other and, and coming to this fair, uh, famous people, inventions being presented the first time here, um, inventions just even for, for creating the, the, the fair area in, in Chicago. A fascinating book. And I, I just like that idea of a, of a fair, a, a something to bring a, a bunch of people together, sharing ideas. Um, I ranked this one 14 out of 52. I, I really enjoyed that book. Uh, Eric Larson is the author. Book 32, Einstein by Walter Isaacson. Loved this one. Uh, ranked at number four on my list this year, right after Frederick Douglass. So in, in my top five, highly recommend this one. My key takeaway in this one was Einstein was, um, was, was kind of, was, was known as a, as an atheist. And during war, world war II, he was, he was in the, the United States. He had been working in, in Germany as a, as a Jew. And, uh, he'd been, been, He'd been he he left and then he was not allowed back in. His house had been ransacked. A lot of people he knew had be, had been sent to the concentration camps. And I believe he was in Princeton at the time. He he also played the violin. And uh, some some Christians in the area asked him to attend a prayer. And they were going to pray pray for for Jews being persecuted as uh, in 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 World War Two by by the Nazis. And Einstein shows up, and he shows up with his violin. And so they're just kind of going around a circle praying. And when it gets to Einstein, he takes out his violin, and he plays the violin as his prayer. And then puts the violin down, and, and you know, then it goes to the next person to pray. And that scene, when I read that, it just... It was one of the most beautiful things I read all year. Uh, just to be a fly on the wall in that meeting, an atheist going to a Christian prayer meeting where they're praying for persecuted Jews. He's a Jew. He shows up with his violin. He 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 offers up a song. I oh that that must have just been an amazing thing to to witness. Uh, and that's the the one thing I always think about, and it ties into so much other uh, else in the book. Uh, Einstein would often play his violin while he was while he was thinking about scientific theories, and and so that one key takeaway actually opens up a lot of other things that I remember from that book. Again, I ranked that number four, uh, one of my favorites for the year. Next up, book number 
33, what every body is saying. So not what everybody is saying, but every body. So it's separate words. Every body is saying an ex FBI agent's guide to speed reading people by Joe Navarro. The one thing I remember from this one is he asked the question, what is the part of the body that tells the most uh, unconsciously? So what part of the body, like when, when somebody is, is trying to lie to you, what, what part of the body should you look at to see if, 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 uh, if they are lying? And, it, and again, this is not a end-all be-all, but uh, it, it's kind of a tip just for, for where to look. If, if, you were to, if you were asked that question, what would you guess? For me, I, I would think the eyes. Like I would think you know, if somebody's shifting their eyes or something, then, then maybe they're lying or, uh, or even you know, like somewhere on the head. That, that would be my guess. But he says it's the feet. You, you want to look at the feet. And ever since I've read this book, I've, I've noticed that even in myself. If I'm in a conversation I don't want to be in, my feet are pointed towards the door. It is an unconscious thing, but once you start realizing that, it's really interesting to see what people's feet are doing. Uh, he said in, in a lot of the in, in interrogations, uh, even the, the typical ones you see in, in a, a movie where the cop is across the person and there's a table there, he said, get rid of the table because the most important thing is for you to be able to see their feet, see what they're doing. Uh, if they're lying, they may kind of tuck their feet behind the chair legs. Um, they may... They may do something different with their feet if they're lying as opposed to telling the truth. And so it just kind of allows you to go into further questioning if you notice these things. But most people do not look at the feet. And so that was the, the one thing I remember. And I, I see that almost every day as, uh, as, as I'm talking to, to, to different people. I can, I can basically tell if I want to be there or not just by, by what my feet are doing. Um, I ranked that one 33 out of 52. Next up, book number 34, Factfulness by Hans Rosling. This was a really important book. And the, the thing I remember most about this is the quiz at the beginning. I took that quiz. I got a 5 out of 13, which is uh, 30%, I think. Um, I, yeah, 37%. And he gave this test to thousands and thousands of people. And most people scored below a 33%. There are only three questions per, or three answers per question. So if you just went through this quiz and guessed, you would you would get thirty three percent. And so he brings that point up throughout the book. Uh, monkeys just going at random and, and picking. So say they have three bananas of the, uh, in front of them. One that says A, one says B, one says C, and they just pick up the the bananas at random. They would score a thirty three percent just from from guessing, and. If people are, are taking this quiz, and it's a quiz about the state of the world, how things are going, and wh- how things are likely to go in the future, if people are getting 33% and lower, that means they're worse than guessing. That means they're operating on incorrect worldview. So for instance, here are some of the questions. Uh, in, in all low-income countries across the world today, how many girls finish primary school? The options are 20%, 40%, or 60%. Another question. How did the number of deaths per year from natural disasters change over the last 100 years? A, more than doubled. B, remained the same. C, decreased to less than half. So these are the types of questions, and there's 13 questions. I've scored abysmally, uh, but I'm, I'm in good company because he goes throughout the book. He says Nobel laureates, economists, uh, professors, 
people teaching the next generation, they all get really bad scores. Uh, 15% of people got zero correct. And no one, not a single person he gave this test to ever scored a perfect score. And so what this does, book does is shows you that your, your mindset is heavily influenced by the news you see and the kind of thinking the worst of, of, of things when in, in a lot of situations, things are, are getting better. And so this, this book helps reframe your worldview and gives you tools and in ways to think and, and not just facts of like, you know, believe this, believe this and this, but more kind of a mentality, a, a way of looking at the world. Very important book. Uh, one of my favorites for the year. I ranked it number eight out of 52. Next book up on the list, Endure by Alex Hutchinson. This is not endurance. This is not the one about the Antarctica mission of Shackleton, but uh, this one is Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. This book was was awesome. I, I am a runner, so I, I, I was, I'm, I'm always curious on how you get past certain points in physical exertion. And where is that limit? Is it a mental limit? Is it, is it a physical limit? Uh, what what holds someone back? And those are the questions he, the author goes into. But it's it's framed within him tracking Kipchoge going for the world record in the marathon. He's Kipchoge's trying to break two hours in the marathon, and he just he just did that. Um, uh, in the last few months. So that that's really cool. And, and this book came out before he did that, but he was getting very close. Like he was within a minute or two of, of breaking the record. And so Alex keeps asking this question, uh, you know, what, what, what is the limit? How do you, how does one get past the limit? And so my, my one key takeaway was, was just the importance of, of the mind, uh, but then also that being in balance, like um, if you, they would do some experiments where they would turn off parts of the mind, but, uh, and, or, or try to turn off pain receptors, but that actually had a negative impact and, and it would slow a person down at a certain point because they just never felt pain. They didn't know when to stop. Um, and so it, it's all these things working together. I've, I've drastically improved in my running in, in the last year, uh, more so than in the past 15 years. And a lot of that is on the mental side of things. I, in my, in the past, I would always f- focus on the physical side, but the last couple of years I've focused more on the mental side and on the nutrition side. And that has had a tremendous impact on running speeds. And so this, this, this book, uh, uh, one key takeaway w- was just that that idea, the, the mental side of it. And then the other thing that my one key uh, takeaway from this book is that it, it encouraged me to sign up for a local race and do what Alex calls a uh, kamikaze run. And basically you just, you go out and you try to stay with the top guys for as long as you can. So I signed up for a 5k here in, in Franklin, Tennessee, and I ran it uh, just a month ago, uh, three weeks ago on Thanksgiving. And it was the first time I'd done that. I've, I've always done races where I go out strong at the beginning and then just kind of taper off in the middle, knowing that I need to, to keep a reserve for the end. And it's a mental limitation though, uh, according to this book, because 
you, you, you may be limiting yourself by, by doing, approaching a race that way, but kamikaze, just going out as hard as you can, trying to stay with the top, top runners as long as you can. Um, you, you may drop and fail. And, and I always had this fear of failure of, of, uh, fear of not being able to finish a race, like just cutting out too, too soon because I, I, I didn't, I didn't pace myself well. And so this, this book and the challenge of it, uh, uh, it, it helped me go for that challenge and, and know that I needed to do that challenge to get through a mental barrier in my head with running. And so I did that. I did that at Thanksgiving. I had the best 5k time I've run since high school. Um, and it just opened up things in my mind. I, I know I could have gone harder, so I, I don't feel like I went out full kamikaze, but, um, but I got a time that, uh, that, that I'm really proud of. And the, this book, uh, was the impetus for, for doing that. Next book, I, I ranked it number 26 out of, out of 52. Next book, number 36, Skin in the Game by Tal- Talib. Uh, main thing I still think about, and I've seen this come up a lot in other books, is the, the Lindy effect. And basically, it's the survivability of, of things. And so if a, a particular religion has survived for thousands of years... Uh, or, or the people who have adhered to the tenets of that religion have survived. Maybe there's something there. If, if an idea has survived for thousands of years, or, or, or another way he puts it, if, if there's a new idea that's come out, uh, if, if, if he can't find that idea in ancient literature, uh, he, he doesn't really give much credence to it. And, so there's this survivability of, of ideas, of, of things, of places, and you'll see that idea just come up a lot. And so that's, that's one thing I, I, uh, I remember from, from, from that one. Number 37, I ranked at number 18, uh, 18 out of 52 as well. <clears throat> Book 37, The President is Missing. <laughs> this was kind of a, a, a fun read. This was written by James Patterson, but also Bill Clinton, former former President Bill Clinton. So, I when I saw that that a, a former president had written a book with with one of the thriller writers, I I was like I, I've got to do that, and so I did it. I've, I haven't read any other James Patterson book in my life, but um, I, I thought there might be some some inside knowledge with uh, to things of, of a president, maybe, uh, the, the secret service or, or things like that. And, and I'm, I'm always a sucker for those types of things. So this, this was a fun one that the thing I, I, I remember from this book is that it, it is about kind of a, uh, zero day where, where, uh, hackers take out all infrastructure and pretty much everything else. And so this book describes what that would be like. And I, I don't think I've ever thought, thought it through. And so just even in terms of, uh, the banks, uh, if the banks are down, if, if, if everything we put on the internet is inaccessible, uh, what happens? And, and they kind of go through that scenario in, in this book. And so it's quite frightening in that sense, but, uh, it was, I guess, a good to, uh, to think about those things. I ranked it 34 out of 52.
All right, now into this final set of books, books 38 through 52. So book number 38, The Half-Drowned King, a novel by Linnea Hartsuker. I probably butchered that, sorry. Uh, this was, was um, so I'm, I'm, my family heritage is Norwegian. Uh, I just took one of those 23andMe things and uh, I've been told my whole life I'm three-fourths Norwegian and a quarter German. And the results from 23andMe came back that I am 75% Scandinavian and a quarter uh, German or French. So <laughs> pretty pretty close. Um, and so I, I always want to have a book about Norway on, on my list each year. And I know this is not about Norway, but it was a novel set in Norway. So I thought there might be some cool parts to it. And there were, and it, it, it was interesting. And... Um, so it again, it's a novel, so it's not like a one key takeaway I, I can implement in my life type thing. But um, just thinking about what it would have been like to have lived in Norway at that at that time uh, as a Viking, um, author did a great job describing what women would have been going through as well, and so in, interesting in that sense. And so I, that's kind of the, the one the, the main thing I remember from from that one. I ranked it 39 of 52. Book number 39 on my list for this year was Small Fry by Lisa Brennan Jobs. That is Jobs as in Steve Jobs' daughter and unacknowledged daughter. For for many years, he he she was born out of wedlock. He, he never married that woman and um, Steve Jobs didn't. And then uh, they, had the, they had a daughter and this was the daughter and she wrote a book. And it was, uh, it was disturbing, and it was sad. And I, I, I like to have a good perception of, of Steve Jobs. I've read other books about him, more from a business side. This, this, is, this is a book about Lisa Brennan Jobs, but it, it is a book about Steve Jobs as well. And, and the decisions he made that just devastated this young girl and... Oh, it, was so, it was so hard to read. That's that's my the main thing I remember from this. A, a fascinating book, though, a great book, and you just kind of wonder how she made it through these things, things that were said to her. Um, Steve Jobs would not acknowledge her, like in front of other people, like, "Oh, this isn't my daughter. Um, I'm just being nice to her. I'm just taking care of her." Um, and oh, just a lot of tragic scenes, but um, but a book of hope as well. I really enjoyed it. I ranked it 15 out of 52, and it's a memoir, and yeah, good one. Book 40, Fit for Life by Harvey and Marilyn Diamond. I ranked this one 47 out of 52, and when I told my wife I was reading it and the things that were in it, she laughed at me quite hard. It was written in the 80s, and so she has reasons to laugh um, because a lot of the nutrition advice from the eighties has not stood the test of time to say, to say that kindly. And so I, I do want to share one thing that I got from this. And so the, the reason I read this is, is, uh, Jesse Itzler who, who wrote, um, living with a seal. He, he said this, this book had a big impact on his life. And, and I think for 30 years or something, he has only eaten fruit for, for the first part of the day. So in, until noon, he only eats fruit. And I was curious, I was always curious why 
he did that. And this, this book is where he got, he got that idea. And so I, um, I, I read why I, I'm not doing it in the morning. I, I have started eating fruit maybe like for one meal, um, usually during lunch. And, and I'll mix it with some nuts as well, but I feel really good when I do it. Um, I've lost some weight doing that, and I, 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 I don't know. I, I, when I read these types of books, they, they maybe help me change a few things. I, I don't go full gung-ho on them, but um, they, they do change something. And, and I, for the positive impacts that, that it has, I, I, uh, I'm thankful for that. So, uh yeah, the fruit until noon. I get. I guess the, my one key takeaway, uh, other than implementing that to some degree, is is this idea of eating foods with with uh, water based. And so, fruits and vegetables are going to have water in them, and processed foods that has to be taken out because if it is going to be transported and it has to sit on a shelf for a while, you can't have water in there that could potentially mold and spoil the food. And so that all has to be extracted. And so when, when you're eating processed food, that that's part of it is that it's, um, that the water has been removed. Uh, whereas fruits and vegetables, the, the water is still in them. And, and so that, that was, I, I just never thought of that. I, I'm, when it comes to nutrition, I'm, I'm really dumb. So I, I'd never thought about those things. And, and so just even thinking about them a little was, was more than I'd done at other points in my life. Ranked at 47 out of 52. Book 41 was The Monk of Mocha. And this was one where uh, you're, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, right? Well, I, I went into a bookstore and I saw this and the cover looked awesome. I'd read another book by Dave Eggers. And so I picked it up. I love coffee and I saw Mocha. And well, I figured maybe this book has something to do with coffee. And then The Monk of Mocha. Hmm. So, sounds interesting. I loved this one. This was amazing. Uh, it's it's story of, of a guy, Mokhtar. He's a Yemeni American. And he finds out that his family heritage and then also Yemen's history is full of coffee. And coffee was was uh, discovered, I guess, in the with the famous story of the goat uh, chewing coffee beans and then not sleeping. Uh, that happened in Ethiopia. But uh, coffee quickly went to Yemen from, from there. And Yemen became a big worldwide exporter of coffee. Um, but it is right now it is in, in the midst of, of some terrible things with Saudi Arabia bombing it and, uh, there being different terrorist groups in, in the country. And so this book takes place within all that. It, it is a nonfiction book. It's, it's the story of a man, this Yemeni American, uh, Mokhtar, who decides to go back to Yemen find the best coffee growers in the country, get that coffee to the States and try to sell it as, uh, as, as high-end coffee. And it's an incredible story. It is a truly amazing story. I thought of three different friends of mine who are in the coffee business or have been in the coffee business. And I actually bought the book for them and, and sent it to them while, while I was reading this. One of the guys I, I just got together with recently and, um, I just want to share the story as kind of a side note. I, I bought this book from, I, I didn't know anything about his life other than that he was uh, in, into, co- uh, that he worked in a coffee shop. He, he actually, uh, we got in touch. I, I was going to potentially do work for his company on, on the website side of things. And we, we ended up not working together, but um, 
but just kind of maintain a friendship. And then uh, we both have young kids and uh, I've, I've seen him at swim, swim lessons for our kids and that kind of thing. So we, we just kind of kept in touch uh, loosely. And so he, he, um, I got him this book and then I didn't hear from him for a while. And he, he sent an email and, and he, he said, Hey, finish the book. Uh, thank you. I'd, I'd love to, to get together to talk about it. And we got together to talk and um, he said this is the first book he had, he had read since college. And he's a grown man. He's, he's got kids and he had not read a single book since college. And this is the book that got him reading. He is now reading three different books. Uh, he's he's going to try to finish those in this year, 20, 2019. He uh, built a retaining wall while uh, at the same time he was reading this book, and he has told everybody about reading this book. He has not told many people about the retaining wall because he is more proud of having finished this book. He said he he got emotional after reading it and just uh, it it brought up conversations with him and his wife and of them wanting to to read more, and it. It was amazing to me to, to, to hear that because it, it, it was like a book that sparked a desire in him to, to read. And I love that. And I, I hope that's one side effect of, of this reading project is that it inspires others to read. And here, not knowing really anything about this guy's life other than he, than he liked coffee, getting him a book and, and that being a book that sparked a desire in him to read was really awesome. And so... I have a, a special place in my heart for for this book, the the Monk of Mocha. Fascinating story, um, and the people that I've heard have read it as a result of of hearing it from uh, the Books of Titans project. They have loved it, and so you, you may want to check it out. I ranked it number eleven out of fifty two books. Next on my list, Franklin, Tennessee's handsomest town, and. As I mentioned before, I, I live near Franklin. I love it. I love going there. Uh, this past weekend, we had Dickens of a Christmas. So uh, each year for, for two days, uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday, people dress up in 18th century uh, costumes and, and roam the streets of, of Franklin. All the shops are open. It's it's Christmas. Uh, it's it's awesome. And that's the kind of things that, that happen in, in Franklin, Tennessee. A lot of different festivals and, and fun family type type events like that, and so this book is a, a is a deep dive into Franklin's history. This is very similar to the Scotland books that I, I read earlier in the year, where it it really digs in deep. And the thing I remember most about this book it may seem uh, lame uh, of having gone into so many details about Franklin, but the thing I remember most is them talking about. The reason, uh, like if you walk around Franklin, downtown Franklin, the houses that are there, they're, they're these big southern mansions, but they're right next to the street. And it's kind of odd because you'd think of a mansion, you would, you would maybe want some space, you know, not right next to the road where there's going to be noise and stuff. But, um, but I read in this book that the reason that they did that is that people would have gardens in their backyard and, and crops and, and different things. So even though it was in the middle of the city city center, the houses would be right up front and and then the these big yards in the back. And it was also another reason that there were never really any play areas for kids in Franklin because everyone had their own huge yard in the back and the kids would just play back there. So it, it, one of those things where y- you live in a city and you you read a book like this and you get to know it 
a lot better and you get to you get to see little things like that of of you know why are the houses this close and 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 getting answers to to fun questions like that i ranked it pretty high i ranked it number 13 out of 52 uh in terms of, so I, I really enjoyed this one and, and was uh surprised by it number 43 the marathon monks of mount hie book uh, I, I ranked this one 45 out of 52 books I liked it. I, I I was just hoping it would go into more of the mentality of these monks. So these monks run uh, a marathon a day. They've got they have to run a thousand marathons over uh, a certain number of, of years. It's it's not exactly a marathon a day, but um, during the their periods of, of of intensity, it's it's a marathon or, or more per day. Uh, the thing that I remember most from this book is that. This is not like a, you wouldn't necessarily Instagram this thing like, hey, I've decided to become a monk and I'm going to uh, do this. Well, first off, it's it's a thousand days. And then second off, uh, you carry weapons with you for the purpose of killing yourself if you've quit. So like if you decide to run a marathon or, or do some crazy like ultra marathon thing. Like if you quit, you just, you quit and, and you may feel bad and, and maybe, maybe you have to go to the hospital because, uh, you overdid it. You overextended yourself, but you don't have a knife in your pocket to slice your stomach open and let your entrails come out because you didn't finish the race. That's what these dudes do. And, uh, so it's pretty intense. It's not like a, uh, it's not a, it's not a day at the beach it's not a like let's see what i can find out about myself type of thing it's uh it's intense and that that was the one thing i remember but um yeah uh interesting interesting book i just was looking more i didn't want to know about them i wanted to know about their thinking and what would cause a person to to want to do that and this book was not that Next book, uh, book 44 for the year. This was 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Harari. And let's see, the, the key takeaway here, well, this is embarrassing, but I, I actually can't remember. I can't remember a single takeaway from, from this book. I ranked it uh, 30, 31 out of 52, but yeah, <laughs> I can't remember a single thing from that one. Number 45, Educated by Tara Westover. This was uh, one of the, the big bestsellers in 2018. It was number one New York Times bestseller. It's a memoir. Uh, Tara Westover was raised by survivalists. They happened to be Mormon, but uh, their Mormonism was kind of... It, it was part of part of their who they were, but um, it, it was more about uh, being on their own and... Um, and, and not being under government control. And so that was the type of household she grew up in. Uh, if, if they got hurt, they did natural home remedies. They did not go to the hospital. And that leads into my, my takeaway, my, my, the one thing I remember from this book, and that is that they, they were consistent in, in that sense of they, if, uh, the, the father had just, terrible burns one of the one of the other sons had terrible burns and they did home remedies i mean they, the the father almost died from from the burns that he sustained 
and but he was consistent and he said no we're not going to the to the hospital uh the 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 other thing that i i remember is that is the shift for the author of this book tara as being in this family the shift of her brother being in an accident and her father saying bring him home right now we're gonna we're gonna take care of him and her being in her car and and physically doing a u-turn to go to the hospital and take him to the hospital and and he survived he he may not have survived if if she had taken him home and so yeah there was the u-turn physically in the car but there was a u-turn mentally and there was a u-turn in her family responsibility i remember in this podcast episode that my one key takeaway was a question she asks of of uh, your family. Like, what if what if where you're going in life is different from your family? Like, do you uh, what if the, what if they're hindering that? What what is your responsibility in each thing? And it's it's a it's a hard question she asks and just kind of leaves you with that. Uh, this one, I. I, I thought it was amazing. I, I ranked it number five. So it was in my top five this year. Uh, so five of 52 educated by, by Tara Westover. Number 46, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. This was the book I was most excited about reading this year. And uh, I ranked it number nine of 52. I, I probably would have ranked it higher had I not listened to hours of podcasts with Goggins. I mean, I, I, I basically heard most everything that was in this this book. So it, it, it may not have packed the punch that it would for someone who was just coming upon Goggins in the first place. And in fact, the, my first encounter with Goggins was in the living with a seal book by Jesse Isler. And that one had a tremendous impact on my running, on my thinking, on, on thinking about daily habits, that sort of thing. And so, uh, Goggins has had a, a big impact, uh, but this book can't hurt me. Didn't have it quite the punch that, um, that even living with a seal has had, and I think it's just from, from probably overexposure to, uh, to Goggins. But, uh, my one key takeaway from this book was to focus on your weaknesses. And, uh, right now with running, I I'm enjoying running. I'm, I'm doing well at it. And Goggins would say, that's not the thing you need to do. You need to do the things that you're scared of. And, and so for me, uh, that would be swimming. Like I, I'm not good at swimming. I don't like swimming. And, he, he would say, work on that, work on that thing that you're weak at, that you're, you're not as good at. Um, seems like an obvious takeaway. I mean, there, there's the 40% rule is, is something that has completely shifted my mindset in a lot of different areas. And that is a, a Goggins rule. If you're not familiar with it, um, I'll link to the show notes in the show notes to that episode, uh, where I discuss the 40% rule. But uh, my the one thing I remember from this book in particular, not not Goggins in general, is is working on your your weakness. So I rank that number nine of fifty two. Book number forty seven in Xanadu by William Dalrymple. I have read other Dalrymple books, uh, mainly about India. I traveled to India in two thousand seven, I believe, and, and read some uh, Dalrymple books about Indian history. I love his style. Uh, and in Xanadu is is his first book, and he basically retraced Marco Polo's uh, travels from where he got oil from, I believe the where where Jesus had been buried in the in the tomb. He got oil from that tomb, and then 
walked it all the way to Xanadu, which is like northwest of Beijing in China. And it's where the Mongol empire was over there. And so um, Dalrymple retraces that. And in the time he did that uh, in the late 90s, I believe, was or early 90s, was a time in history where it was possible. And there were parts that he still couldn't do just with different geopolitical issues, wars, that kind of thing. But like, there were there were two main roads that opened up during this time, uh, especially after the fall of communism, that allowed Dalrymple to, to retrace Pol- Marco Polo's travels. And so he went to the same towns and everything. And it was it was a fascinating book. I, I loved this one, and the thing the one one thing I remember, uh, my one key key takeaway that I, I I still think about quite a bit is that he went to a city, and it was in uh, uh, I believe it was modern day yeah uh, modern day Iran, and he he went to this one city, and they uh, in Marco Polo's book he he had said that the the three wise men were were buried there. So the three wise men in the story. Um, maybe you've heard the, the Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Uh, there, there's a city in in Iran uh, from the Persian Empire where it's these three uh, three wise men came from and said they were buried there. Dalrymple goes there, he tries to find their, their, um, their graves and he can't find them. And so... Uh, they've either been destroyed or, or or something, but it was really interesting to to think about that. And then Dalrymple um, says that 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 city had an, an astronomy center that was second to none. So if uh, the story in the Bible is that they saw a star in the east, and that that led them to Jerusalem, to where where the baby Jesus was. Um, and other accounts say that he probably would have been like two years old at the at the time that the wise men would have shown up, but. Three, three wise men see a star in the east. So if they're going to see it, it would have been at this center because it was where the astronomy center of the world was at the time. So it was really fascinating just to read about that and, and to think about that. And uh, that was that's the, the thing I, I keep thinking about from that book. I ranked it 20 out of uh, 52. Getting closer to the end, uh, book 48, Musicophilia by Oliver Sacks. And this one goes through different problems like mental problems that people have and some crazy like musical abilities that come from that so somebody may not be able to add two plus two but they can they know and could sing back a thousand different operas like any point of any of those operas and they could tell you the words uh, sing the tune sing it in the exact pitch that 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 song was written in um and so how does that happen in, in somebody getting struck by lightning and then having this ability to, to play music and, and read music or, and, uh, write music. And so that's, that's the one thing I remember from this book is, is, uh, we ha- we have more ability than, than we're aware of. And something can open that up, whether it's a limitation on another side of things that kind of opens up. Uh, musical ability on the other side, or it's just something maybe we don't dig into in our in our own lives. And so, good good book. I, I enjoyed that one. I ranked it twenty eight out of fifty two. Book forty nine: The Lessons of History by Will and Ariel Durant. Another another really fascinating book, and 
talking about a lot of different uh, ideas of history, uh, different theories of how things have, have come about, and then they'll they'll go through how that isn't the case. So one that that sticks with me is is uh, the the race theory of uh, it's popular in in Germany during um, uh, the Nazi area uh, Nazi era, but um, that certain races were 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 better than others, and um, and and they just go through. You know, well, if you look at the lessons of history, if you if you give a broad view, uh, that's just a really bad idea, and and doesn't doesn't uh, correspond with with reality at all. And so that was one one takeaway from that one. I ranked that one twenty five out of fifty two. Book fifty, Guantanamo Diary, and this one was uh, this was a shocker. I uh, I heard about this one on a podcast episode, I believe, or or NPR, um, either episode or article. And it's written by um, Mohamedou Old Slahi, and he was a prisoner in Guantanamo Bay. He was a prisoner for for many years. He was never charged with a crime. He was uh, he he was innocent and just kind of uh, had been in the wrong place at the wrong time at a few other points in his life earlier on in his life. And the the version of the book I got at first was heavily redacted, which means there's black lines through throughout the book. And, and then now the unredacted version is available as well. And he was released in either 2015 or 2016 from, from Guantanamo, but he had been there um, 15 years or so. And this was a really disturbing book because uh, there was a lot of description of, of torture that was done by uh, the United States to this man. And yeah, that, that's my, my takeaway is uh, I, I was, it, it was not uh, a comfortable read. It was not something that... I, I'm proud of, of of our country. It's kind of a black mark on our country for for having having done this uh, to this to this innocent man. And the thing I kept thinking about while reading this book is, uh, what do we do to the to the least of these? And things just got out of hand uh, with with the torture he went through, and the torture of of the other prisoners led to bad information and led to other arrests and all sorts of things. And so disturbing book, but uh, a really important one and just amazing to, to see what the U S government redacted from the book and didn't want you to see. And so interesting in that, in that sense as well, I ranked that one number 10 out of 52 book 51 for the year was the prophets by Abraham Heschel. This one was suggested to me by uh, both my wife and my, my brother-in-law and it goes through the Old Testament prophets and then also uh, individually, uh, like Isaiah, uh, Amos, the different Jeremiah, the different prophets. Uh, so you learn about the you learn about the prophets, but then also kind of uh, general commonalities and or similarities and, and differences be, between the prophets. My key takeaway from this book was this idea of the the pathos of God and something I'd never heard about or, or read about. And pathos is this idea of of the pity or concern of of God, and and that's what the prophets uh, talk about. They talk about um, 
God being a God who is concerned with people and not just broad people, but like in individuals. And what the prophets rail against is, is power. And, uh, you've got a God who is concerned most with the widows and the orphans. And that's kind of the judge of a, of a, of a society is how are they treating the widows and the orphans? And, and if, if they're not treating them well, the prophets would just rail on these, these, uh, these rulers or these, these nations or these groups of people. And so it, 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 it's, it's interesting because uh, God, through the prophets, was not interested in the economic might of, of a group. He was not interested in the political might or the intelligence of the people. He was interested in how the orphans, the widows, the least of these were treated. And so it, it opened up, I, I love reading books that, that open up uh, the Bible and, and understanding of the Bible. And this one did that very much so. But also, yeah, uh, the Bible's going to be the first book on my list n- next year for 2020. And uh, this book will have helped me understand a lot more of the prophets than I would have not having read this. I rated this one 21 out of 52. And now we come to the last book on my list for 2019, The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I ranked this one number one. This was my favorite book for 2019. And it was the last book on my list. And it's not favorite book in the sense of it gave me warm, fuzzy feelings and, you know, I, I just want to curl up with a, a cup of coffee and a, a fire and, and read this book again. It's, it's like watching Schindler's List. Like, you don't, you don't want to watch that movie again, but it, it was, it's probably a good idea to watch it one time in your life. Uh, I read the abridged version of the Gulag Archipelago, but um, it, was, it was unbelievable and... It, it's uh, incredible. It's a book forged through suffering. And that's like uh, one of my other favorites this year, the narrative of the life of Frederick, Frederick Douglass. There are just things that you learn in these books that you can't get in any other book. Uh, they're forged through suffering. There are lessons in here that would take someone else multiple lifetimes to, to ever learn. Uh, but there's just something about the intensity of suffering that uh, that 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 brings it brings out some some amazing amazing things. The the thing though the one key takeaway in this this book was uh, Solzhenitsyn asks who who actually was punished in the gulags, and he says if uh, the purpose of life is promotion and accumulation and wealth and power, then by all, all visible things, it would look like the guards and the power structure behind those guards was, was, uh, was profiting from that. They, that they were, uh, they were the ones that were, were doing well. 
But if you look at it another way, and, and if the meaning of life is the development of the soul, then the prisoners were actually the ones who were, who were doing well. And to flip that around, to, and, and just to first off to make that statement as a prisoner, to someone, someone who was tortured in the, in the prisons, who uh, was made to work in sub-zero weather, uh, given very little food, beaten, uh, tortured, just horrible, horrible things done to him. For him to make that statement and say, the guards were the ones being punished, and I was able to nourish my soul in prison. That is an unbelievable thing, and it's something I've not stopped thinking about since reading reading this book. I'd, I'd suggest this one. Um, it, it was my favorite for the year. Uh, just a, an, an important book. Important book. Well, that's it. That's uh, that's all fifty-two books. Thanks for if you made it to this point. You've you've been with me for for two hours here going through these books. I uh, hope maybe you got some ideas for books that you may want to read. Uh, maybe ones that you want to dig into too deeper. Um, how'd I do? Uh, let, let me know. I, I, uh, I obviously, there were a few books like 21 lessons where I, I couldn't recall a single thing. And, but, but on the whole, I think some of the practices I put into place of, of trying to remember books more has, has paid off. And I guess also the, as I see ideas from different books in, in other books that I read for this project, it, it helps me also remember, remember those books. So I've, I've seen some idea, you know, daily habits, uh, the importance of time, um, spending time uh, on, on things that matter. Those ideas, they, they keep popping up in all types of books, whether they're business books, novels, um, biographies, autobiographies. There, there's some ideas that are that are timeless, and, and you you start to see the importance of them more and more, and then they help you remember those books. So check out the show notes. I, I will link to the the things I discussed, um, some past podcast episodes, in in that sort of thing. Um, and that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can email me email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's eric e r i k at booksoftitans.com, and you can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. I also have a lot of uh, of tools on the website to help you find books and create a reading list. I'm also going to be revamping the website here in the next few weeks. Uh, have an idea of putting some some starter reading lists up. So maybe uh, maybe you want to just start with 12 books a year, so one book a month. Uh, I'm going to have different lists on there uh, to get you started. Some some books that I suggest. Uh, so 12 books and then maybe another list with 30-something books and then another one with, with 52 books. So that could be a, a tool to, to help you get uh, a, a reading list of your own going. So uh, in, until then, I will be back next week with uh, a kind of a housekeeping episode where I, I go into... In, into uh, plans for the the future of for the podcast and in the project and in that sort of thing so that'll be a, a a lot a lot shorter than this episode uh, but you may want to check that out just to see where where things are headed into the the new decade 2020 so until then keep reading keep learning and keep listening i'm out Bye.